we could never get them to do anything for us again after that because they wanted to build skyscrapers. I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. Before the pandemic, I was in London and spending time at Queen's Club. And a few steps from the club is the home of Harry Saint and Nancy Gengler, one of the great squash power couples in history. Nancy was a great player in the 1970s and 80s. She was an intercollegiate champion, twice won the Tournament of Champions, teaching pro, and five times she was a member of Team USA at the Women's World Teams. In April, we are inducting Nancy into the U.S. Squash Hall of Fame. But when I visited, I was keen to sit down with Harry Saint. For decades, I'd wanted to talk to the man who, half a century ago, had helped start a revolution. In the mid-1970s, Harry built the first commercial squash clubs in New York. Fifth Avenue Racquet Club at 37th Street, Uptown Racquet Club at Lexington in 86, and the Doral Inn on Lex in 49th. These clubs had a transformational effect on squash. They gave thousands and thousands of people access to the game, forever disrupting squash's century-old private club dynamic. Harry Saint grew up in and around New York. He first learned about squash at Westminster School in Connecticut. But when he was at Haverford College, they didn't have squash courts or team. Though by the time his sons, Tim and Nick, went to Haverford, they were both able to play on the varsity there. After a stint in West Germany studying philosophy, Harry started working on writing computer code. More or less as a side hustle, he built and ran these three highly successful squash clubs. That included being a venue for perhaps the most famous squash scene in a movie, the 1979 Woody Allen film, Manhattan. In the next act of his remarkable career, in 1987, he published a novel, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. It became a massive bestseller. In 1992, a fellow, fellow Haverfordian, Chevy Chase came out with the film version that starred himself, Daryl Hannah, Sam Neill, Michael McCain, a.k.a. David St. Hubbins, and Stephen Tobolowsky from Groundhog Day. The movie wasn't all that great, but the novel is, in my mind, one of the best to ever refer to squash. So here is Harry Saint. So you're, you're at this point, it's early 70s, and you're sort of a typical squash guy you're at a club private club playing enjoying it um and then what happened like when did you get the light bulb to say you know i want to build some courts how did, how did that all well uh, get catalyzed um, yeah it's not a it's eureka not moment an incredibly original idea you see that uh at that time you know tennis had really uh, uh, lawn tennis had really caught on in America, and people were building indoor facilities everywhere. Right. And um, that's right. And I was uh, enjoyed squash a lot more than than lawn tennis. Yeah, I, it just yeah. Well, no point in going into that. But but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it seemed to me much more logical where where space is expensive. Say living in a city like New York, uh, you just get more people running and hitting in a uh, in a smaller space and right. less time right uh, and some friends of mine and I did just decided to to do it pretty much for fun I don't think we intended it to become the main our main activity any of us 
So you, you were still staying, doing what you were doing, and you thought, on the side, I'll just help. I was, yeah, I was still doing, I was still doing uh, computer stuff and yeah. research and, and, um, and, and writing. Uh, uh, and were, you, were you writing a, a novel yeah, I, then? I've or? always written off yeah. and on. And, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, I got caught up in it and for however many years it was. It, it, it kind of took over my life a bit. It really and, did. And I have to say that, I, I mean, I loved the game always. I was never any good at it, but, uh, but I, I loved playing it. And I, and I really liked the people I was dealing with. I just thought they were terrific people. And, um, I, I look back on that time. It's a really great, great part of my life. So do you remember uh, the first facility was Fifth Avenue? First was Fifth Avenue. So how did that get put together? Were you involved with sort of getting it up and running? That well, I had uh, a couple of friends of mine. Um, who were architects? Uh, well, one of them was an architect named John Copeland, right. who built um, almost all our facilities uh, until, until I was no longer actively involved and when... Uh, and when I wasn't even, though I suppose I, in principle, had the ability to force them to to work with John, it it, it really I didn't have to leave them make their own economic yeah. decisions, and they just had different different taste and different goals mm. than I did. So they didn't. I, and and John, I he's a beautiful designer. I mean, he did some wonderful things, but they were probably not always, um, the, they didn't represent the, 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 the most severe economic decision. And uh, I was willing to, I was happy to uh, make some compromises uh, for him and I guess yeah. the others probably wouldn't have been. Right. Yeah. So he was on the team, and who, who else was yeah, involved? Yeah, uh, a guy named Michael Johnston, who was a lawyer, mm -hmm. and um, we put together that first. Uh, and it, it was on the eighth floor, or something like that. It was. Uh, Ooh, now we're going back. I think it was probably, probably the seventh mm -hmm. floor or something. Of a of a building of an of office a, building of a yeah commercial building at thirty seventh Street just between 5th and 6th Avenues. Mm -hmm. And the top floor, um, I, I, I would have known at the time, but I can't remember now, it must have been some kind of loft space or storage space because it had, it had high ceilings. And, right. Um, uh, it belonged to um, uh, some guys named Mendick and Silverstein who were both important real estate guys in New York. I, uh, uh, they, they since would long ago split up, but... Um, and did, so you anyway, leased the space? They, they, they leased us the space, yeah. took a chance on us. It was, the, uh, um, from their point of view, uh, a pretty risky venture. And we needed... The problem is always you need a, a long-term lease to justify right. the... the, the, the Physical improvements you've got to make to the space expensive putting in those courts and yep. and and you want ideally fifteen or twenty years ten years is yeah 
uh, would make me unhappy. So you need uh, an initial term and extensions that will justify mm -hmm. that. And you had that. The capital improvements. Yeah. And we were able to, to get that, and they were pretty good. And they, they gave us some other spaces after that. We always got along well with them. They, get, they controlled Doral Inn. Oh, they were part of that, right. And they had a funny space there, and they came to us with it. And, and I, it must have, what was it? It must have been a ballroom originally. Um, you know, we've looked at a lot of former ballrooms and uh, waiting rooms and, right. and, and lofts. And, um, Do you remember uh, Paul Monahan uh, yeah, down absolutely, in Philadelphia? He, would, he had he had already. I mean, people often say, "Well, you guys were the first, but we weren't at all. Paul had already yeah. built uh, Squash Con. Uh, yeah, in, in Berwyn. Squash Con. He yep. built at least one of those clubs. Yep. Or, or he built one and was almost finished with another one by the time we right. uh, we were underway. And, right. Uh, did, so yeah. did you go down to Philadelphia and, and look yeah, at what we he had done? Looked and he was um, uh, he was he was a little he, he was possessive of the idea because he well he wanted was, to have a, a yeah, franchises. He thought it was going to catch on or get yeah. franchises. I I mean I, there are reasons why that's not I'm not sure that's a good business model. But anyway, yeah, yeah, he uh, I, he clearly wasn't enthusiastic about our doing it but he was he was very nice and yeah. uh, and I later became good friends with uh, Dave Page who yeah. wasn't there yet but, but, but later yeah. was with him and got, I got on with him yeah very well he's a, a good yeah. guy yeah um, you don't know what's you don't ever see him do you well Paul just died uh, oh, like a within the about a year uh, half a year ago um, but his son Alec who used to live here in London um, is around. Uh, they live in Princeton, and uh, his grandson just graduated from, from Fordham, played squash on the team. Um, and Berwyn, uh, the Maniunk and the Washington Square ones are long gone, but Berwyn's still going. Oh, good. Uh, Dominic Hughes. Uh, Do they have a doubles court there? They have two doubles courts. Still? Yeah. That's good. And that's that's a real core part of the of the facility. It's great. It's a great game. I mean, yeah. the economics are not not very good, but right. But it's a terrific game. I, you, you know, it's the only thing I miss at Queens. I can't complain with real tennis and rackets, but um, yeah, the, uh, North American doubles is a terrific game. Yeah, but you never built a you never built a, a court at your facility. It's just because of the economics of it. You just yeah, it's such and, a big space. And and we were mostly doing this in cities anyway, and you're just not gonna. Uh, find that space. Right, right, um, right. High ceiling, really high ceiling for for doubles. Yeah, and there's just no yeah. way you can. You know, you you count the cubic feet there, and yeah. and 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 run the numbers. It, it's really it's bad enough it's with singles. A club or a university yeah. or yeah. or someone who just wants to spend the money because they love it. You right, know, you know, I, right, uh, right. Uh, it's like buying a beautiful painting or something. It's not gonna. Well, I mean, nowadays maybe it is going to bring you a return, but uh, but uh, no, it's mm. no, we couldn't, and and we dealt with very few sites, as I say, that were Even outside of cities where it were, uh, where where it might have right. been doable. So Fifth Avenue opens, I believe, in in nineteen seventy four. I'm going to take your word for it. 
And my impression of it was immediately became this huge, exciting place to be, and the people flocked to become members and play there. Was that what happened? A lot of people, and both people who were already playing squash. Yeah. Who kind of liked the. It's a little bit like, you know, uh, real tennis here compared to what I remember of the racket club where. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the members of the racket club have never even been up to see those courts. They have right. no idea what they look like, much less what the game is about. And and a, it's a small universe of players, and whatever level you're at, whether you're a beginner or a world-class player, you're probably playing with the same four or five people most of the time. That's right. Uh, whereas at Queens, we have you know hundreds of people right. and a, a huge universe of of players. Right, so right. even people who belong to Lords or Hampton Court or someplace that we'll come probably here. play yeah. mostly here because uh, there's so much more going on. You can get a court and uh, there are you know new people dozens of people you yeah. can play at whatever right. level you're at. So you were finding that at Fifth Avenue that people yeah. who were members of another Absolutely. club would yeah. also join your club. Yeah. Was it also because of the, the, the scene there, that it was social and, and there were, it was more diverse in a way? I mean, was that I, I, people you know, like that? I don't that? know about that. It was a little more diverse, but I wouldn't want to exaggerate it. I mean, we had guys who probably would have been more likely to belong to a, a, a YMCA than, than, than to the racket club. But, but really, it wasn't that... Mm. Different. We did get a lot of people who wouldn't have otherwise been playing squash, though. That's true. Yeah. And and, yeah. Um, and they would get very excited about it. And uh, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of excitement, generated a lot of excitement. And we always set all those clubs in those days um, had a rule that any any ranked player, I forget what it was, anyone in the top ten or twenty ranking. Could play free on the on the exhibition court, so when you walked in, there was a great more player. often than not, yeah. a you know very good some very good squash on the on the exhibition court, and I, I think that made uh, that made a big difference. Interesting, um, and then uh, about a year later, I, soon after you opened Fifth Avenue, you opened Uptown. Well, Uptown. Yeah, there was even there was some overlap. That was that was a really complicated deal, and because um, the building, which was absolutely was complicated in every way, because the the building was really three buildings, mm-hmm. which had which belonged to the Astor family originally from hmm. a long time ago, and were in some trust that was controlled from here and um, they had a long-term tenant a clothing store called Albrecht or whatever the American pronunciation Albrecht probably uh, and um, we neg- and they had such a long-term lease that they really couldn't be thrown out even though the heirs of the Astors wanted to get rid of the building. So it was a kind of three-way negotiation in which we condensed them into a, a portion of the space and then built on top of those wow. three buildings. And 
and each building had a different structural system. One had huge uh, load-bearing walls, and another had a steel frame, and I, and uh, the engineering was really complicated. The archi the architectural work was complicated. Luckily, uh, it, you know that the real estate market had collapsed. That's what we were talking about last night. That you could afford to, and, to do yeah, this. First of all, it helped us negotiate that. Although, and that lawyer for the Albrechts was one of the most difficult people to negotiate. I've ever dealt. He was really he's a smart, good guy. I liked him, but. Man, he, he could spend hours negotiating how many days of notice you had to give about a default involving the fire exits or something. And, and, and we, 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 were, we went round the clock forever negotiating with, you know, all three parties negotiating. And, and, um, and then the work, we got a very good uh, construction firm because there was no work then. So we got guys who would... We could never get them to do anything for us again after that because they wanted to build skyscrapers and uh, we were just too unimportant and small. But they were really, they really knew what they were doing. They were good, and and it was just a lot of fun. Everything the the legal part of it, the, the engineering and the architecture, uh, it was all all terrific. And it was an exciting space and yeah. a lot of fun when it opened. I don't know if you. If you were around there, I, I, I played there. in it. Uh, I played in in tournaments there. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, when it first no. opened, it was yeah. No. I mean, there was no nothing, nothing like it. No, uh, in, in in America. I mean, I think it had fourteen courts. I mean, yeah. it was some huge yeah. number. Yeah, and yeah, we later, um, of course, gradually the courts got cut back. Right. And but at the same time, we were expanding. I mean, we we. We got space in neighboring buildings and cut through the walls to get to it to, to find more exercise space. Right. And, uh, right. Uh, and it was it's really the the location that really carried the whole thing for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, uh, was, well, it was the most famous one, or the one that got publicity, or you know, yeah, the, the art. You had big was, pro tournaments there. It was there. also the biggest earner for us yeah. uh, uh, financially and I think it, it carried a lot of other things uh, and and then I, I got involved with um, uh, Paul London who'd been a friend of mine and Jonathan Roosevelt who uh, and I brought them together uh, and originally we raised money for that for the first club in Washington down mm. there from local investors. Capitol Hill. Yeah, uh, Capitol Hill. And, yeah. and, and then that got, um, well, the legal arrangement are complicated, but it got semi or completely folded into to town squash. Right. And, and, right. Um, and Paul went on to do a lot more stuff down in the right. in the Washington area. Right, right. Um, Did you go into any other cities? I mean, he he had seen. I had known him from before, and he saw what we'd done in New York and had played there and wanted to do it. and And he was having trouble. I, I, you know, while he was putting it together, he came and asked if we wanted to 
participate and, and uh, work with them, and and uh, um, and we did that. Mm. I and uh, he and Jonathan were both uh, great people to, to work yeah. with. Um, did you go into other cities uh, besides Washington? Um, well, I uh, I didn't. Um, I, I was involved we did some stuff in in Europe um, which my first wife would, uh, was involved with and then she asked us to come in and help with what they were doing in Switzerland so that got Squ- squash clubs or, yeah, or squash clubs originally they became like every place yeah. partly exercise right. and so on and, and uh, we had several clubs in uh, in Zurich or in Zurich uh, first of all and in some other uh, uh, cities in Switzerland after that wow and, um, wow. and a- actually when uh, and for a while I wasn't very much involved at all I mean I went to some board meetings but when we finally sold everything to the to the guys who uh, to Mark Smith those people uh, uh, I, I came back and um, this could be was very much involved in putting together all those negotiations right and, that and, right. and the bidding and right and we couldn't we couldn't sell the Swiss clubs as part of that uh, package right. and so uh, we went on we went on with those for quite a while after, quite a while after, and eventually, uh, eventually. When did you sell the, the 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 American ones? The uh, you know uptown and well, so in the early eighties, mid eighties, late eighties. Trying to, I'm trying to remember. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, I I don't know the date. Must have been in the mid or late eighties, early nineties. But I, I mean, I remember. I can remember some of the complicated, angry meetings, and uh, um, I'm trying to remember what country I was in when we had the actual tender, because um, we had, uh, you know. Mark Smith and uh, and Alex Alamanyastu's group and um, Mark Tasher had also put in a bid and came out very close. Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure. I remember the meetings, but I can't remember, to be honest, which country I was in when we were when we were. <laughs> When we were opening the bids, and um, anyway, those guys wound up uh, 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 taking it over. Mark Smith, who'd originally come as a, as a just like a squash player, a squash pro, um, a capable, very capable guy. Mark Tasher was gutted that he didn't get it, and um, uh, and I don't know. 
Yeah, you have to ask them about the history since then. Right. Well, that's right. But back back in the seventies, I mean, uh, everybody talks about Woody Allen coming and filming it. You know, uh, do you remember that when he filmed I remember, it? I remember. Manhattan. Yeah. What 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 happened? Yeah. That was it. One day or. Uh... Well, Woody Allen really impressed me. He's um, uh, not at all the persona he he he, he presents right. on screen, and we. I forget someone someone in in the production company that he used uh, had worked at the club I don't know at the, at the reception desk or in the office or something and recommended uptown as the, uh, the there was a scene in which they were going to be playing squash or rag while they didn't care really uh, and she said yeah I could go to uptown and and they came and looked at decide very businesslike, wasted no time, Woody Allen, no small talk at all, uh, withdraw, withdrawn, very businesslike. Um, and I rem- when they, uh, and this is, a, I've actually, in other situations, had to work with film production companies. These guys were great. I mean, they left everything cleaner than when they'd arrived. They, they were there the minimum amount of time. There were no disruption, uh, really, first rate. But Woody Allen was both starring in the film and was directing it. So he had a stand-in. And he had this guy who was, in real life, the person that Woody Allen plays in the films, the kind of bumbling, uh, um, uh, disorganized, yeah. Jewish guy, and, yeah. uh, and um, yeah. so this guy has to go to all the right places right. during the scene as they as they set it up and go through the motions for the lighting. While yeah, Woody yeah. Allen is watching it all and talking to the camera guy and and doing everything, and and he he's just full of contempt for his stand-in. So his stand-in, of course, does everything that that um, we say Woody Allen do. He's, he's He's kind of wandering around, he, and when he drops something, he he leans down to pick it up, and all the pencils fall out of his pocket. And and Woody Allen is just no patience at all, or amusement for this guy at all, who's after all being Woody Allen. Right. Uh, Woody <laughs> Allen goes on the court, and to my surprise, he picks up a squash racket. I doubt that he'd ever held one before, and give him the ball, and he starts batting it against the wall, you know, volleying it back and forth against the wall. And he's extremely coordinated, would be, I don't know if he plays tennis or golf or anything, but he would be very good if he spent any time, um, very coordinated. Uh, Anyway, uh, they kept asking us how much money we wanted, and he said, I I don't know, you know, um, give give us some tickets to the the opening or something we don't you know the publicity you give us would be worth more than anything you'd, you'd pay us they seemed a little a little confused that we weren't we weren't negotiating aggressively but, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it only took one day one one one, one afternoon they, were, they yeah. were very as I said very professional and then yeah. and then the movie came out yeah, the movie came out. And did you go? Did you? Did, did they give you tickets? Invited to the to the uh, premiere and uh, uh, like, uh, and I remember I came um, 
I came a, a little late or something, and the person who was at the door said, oh, we, we, we tried to wait till you were here. Well, of course, they're, they're, they couldn't have cared less whether I was there or not, but like anyone in the, in the movie business, they, they um, want to butter you up. They're no interest in, in particularly telling the truth. It's not something with a high value in the business, and, and they tell you what you what they think you want to hear. Uh, but no, they were they were always they were always perfectly charming. And, and, and so, when the movie came out, was it a big? Uh, was there a lot of attention? Did it make a difference to us? Yeah, did it make a difference? I doubt it, but I have no idea. Maybe yeah. Yeah. anything's possible. Yeah. We, we have no way of. I doubt it. You know. It was just nice. It was fun. Yeah. 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 Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer Grant Irving and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.